God has always sent his followers to reach the lost and restore the broken through blessing. First through Abraham and now as followers of Christ, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to the world. And one of the most important ways that we are called to bless our world is inviting others into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Bless is a new way of thinking about loving our neighbor as a natural part of our everyday life. We do this through five simple missional practices to help our unchurched family and friends journey towards faith in Christ. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 17. We're going to read uh, verses 13 through 23. It says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Good morning. So glad you're here today and so excited to see what God does with this series that we're calling Bless, about blessing and reaching others. So to start today, I want to consider this story from a friend of mine. His name's Mauricio. He pastors a church in Minneapolis, and his youth pastor told him and then told me about a time when he organized a treasure hunt for his group of students. So he had hidden something in the church, not a super big church, but big enough that it would take a little skill, and then he gave them a treasure map. Does it ever feel like your life is like a treasure map, a treasure hunt with a bad map? So he gave them a bad map and then gave them five minutes to go search for the treasure. After five minutes, the students came back a little discouraged and completely unsuccessful. So he said, well, do you want clues? Of which they, of course, said, yeah, we totally want clues. So he gave them two clues. He gave them one true clue and one false clue. <laughs> and then gave them three more minutes and said, okay, good luck, go. And they came back a little bit more frustrated, a little bit more discouraged, and they did not find the treasure. So on the third try, the youth pastor said, well, this is the one that's true, and then this false one would be true if we just did this. Now they had two clues, and within one minute, they found the treasure, they had a party, and they were very excited. And then the youth pastor told them, here are two students that knew the whole time where the treasure was. 
They just couldn't say so. So we started Restoration to become a community of people being restored by Jesus to bring hope to the world. Because we want to see more and more people joining with Jesus to transform communities. And the way we do that sometimes has been confusing or sometimes complicated or sometimes scary. So when our friends at the Covenant said, uh, we've been searching around and we think this comes from the scriptures and is easy to remember, we're like, oh my gosh, that's most of what we do. We just have never said it that way. So like the video said, the way we bring hope to the world is through blessing because that's always been what God has done. Consider Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This is God's call to Abraham. And remember what's happened in the Bible in, by Genesis 12. There's been this beautiful creation. Everything's been great. Humanity is almost a pinnacle of his creation. They get to start in the garden. Everything's good. They have fellowship with each other. There's, uh, it says naked and unashamed, which means there's like nothing in between them. And there's no shame in the garden and everything's great, and then it's not so great, and then it goes from bad to worse, and then there's not only cover-up and shame and finger-pointing and deceit, then it turns into killing, then it turns into uh, more killing, then it turns into awful, awful, to the point where God says, I'm going to flood the earth. So he renews creation with one righteous person and his family, although we find out he's not so righteous, then we find out that as humanity spreads again, they decide to make towers to heaven to bring everything to themselves. And God's like, ugh, I imagine. I don't know if God actually said, ugh. It's going to hell in a handbasket again. So I'm going to take this one guy and his wife. And they, Hebrews tells us they're as good as dead which I'm finding out that 75 years old isn't really that old anymore. Uh, but 75 and 65 who've never had kids, and they say, and God says, go leave this land. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those. Uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Chapter before this, humanity is trying to make themselves into a great nation, make a name for themselves. God scatters them and confuses their languages and takes one guy who is not looking to make a name for himself and says, I'll use you. So God blessed Abraham financially, relationally, spiritually, to the point, and, and the point of that blessing was not for him to just receive it, or for him to brag about it, the point was for him to then share it so that he could be a blessing to others. That was God's plan with Abraham's children and, great, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, those being the 12 tribes of Israel. But they didn't always get that. They kept focusing on themselves. They kept focusing on their needs and their status as God's chosen people. They didn't get that the mission was simply the same as it was with Abraham, that they are blessed to be a blessing. 
So God sent Jesus Christ to get right what the nation of Israel kept getting wrong. And throughout Jesus' life and in the story we read today, God blessed Jesus so that he would be a blessing to the whole world. And I think we need to hear that. And I definitely need to be remembered of that, that every blessing in my life, every good thing, is God's invitation for us to be a blessing to others. So how do we do that? Well, I hope it sounds simple, but it's definitely not simplistic because we bless people. So three years ago, the tribe of churches that we're a part of, the covenant, they started searching for what we're going to look at over the next five weeks. And discovering it in the Bible was not difficult. The harder part was how to communicate that in a concise, easy-to-understand, and memorable manner. And what was really cool is that these practices overlap. If you were a part of the disciple groups, these practices very much overlap what we've been talking about for three years in that group. So I talked to Kara, our small groups coordinator, and then we talked to the staff, and we talked to the small group leaders, and then we began to pray about what this might look like as a way to permeate all of restoration. So I'm really excited about that, and I hope you will be too. But BLESS consists of five practices, one for each letter, because, you know, we wanted to make it memorable, that not only show how Jesus blessed people, but they show us through the power of the Spirit how we can be a blessing to others. So the first practice is begin with prayer. Right? Come on, some of you are like, seriously, two years of searching and... The B doesn't even get to be the first word, like begin with prayer. Well, otherwise it would have been blessing people or just less people. And we didn't want to less people, so, so uh, they get better. But consider why we must begin with prayer. I think we begin with prayer because Jesus began with prayer. He started his ministry in prayer. Both Matthew and Luke in the scriptures talk about Jesus being baptized, being filled with the Spirit, then going into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed. When he came out of the wilderness, he started his ministry officially. He ended his ministry in prayer, completed it on the cross. Jesus prayed in his final hours, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He prayed, Father God or Father Dad, why have you forsaken me? And he prayed, it is finished. So at the beginning, at the end, and then all throughout Jesus' ministry, he immersed himself and engaged himself with prayer. One particular example is in Luke chapter 6. Uh, in Luke 6, Jesus is uh, selecting the apostles, but before he does that, it says he went up on a mountainside to pray and he spent the whole night praying. And when morning came, he called the disciples to himself. That was a large crowd at that time. Men, women, young, old. And he chose 12 of them, and he designated them apostles. See, these 12 would be the first ones to go and bless the world that Jesus would actually send out. And, and I think that says God's not giving up on this dream to reach and restore people. Through this blessing, by choosing the 12 apostles... What Jesus is doing is saying, hey, this plan that God was going to use these 12 tribes of Israel to bless the world, these apostles are the new 12 tribes. These are the new ones that will go forward. 
interesting note of who we, got, who we picked. Common fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, uh, violent or at least aggressive political revolutionaries, and then a lot of people that were just kind of nobodies. People that I think you and I would have walked by and not given a second thought to. It certainly didn't seem like the A-team or varsity or, you know, division one list. And so I've often wondered, like, if Jesus is God, does he need to pray? Yet, when Jesus became God, he took on limitations, human limitations. And the Bible says that, that Jesus knows what it's like for us, knows what it's like to be human, probably more than most of us actually have ever imagined. So as the ultimate human, he had to depend on God the Father for direction and protection. And that's why I think he engaged with prayer over and over and over. I don't think we begin with prayer just because Jesus is our model, because he's way more than a model. He's our master. He's our savior. He's the one we need every day. Consider our world and how easy it is to live without praying. I mean, we, for example, in America, we live in a democracy. Sometimes it might not feel like it, but we do. Of the people, by the people, and for the people. And we can get so focused on the people that we forget that it's all under God. That God is this ultimate authority. Or consider how much abundance we have. I mean, most people in America have more than one car, more than one computer, more than one smartphone, so virtually we can get anywhere and almost do anything. And we can forget the almighty power of God. But I also think if we don't begin with prayer, but you really love the church and you really like restoration, you might say, all right, I'll do this blessed thing and I got this begin with prayer, then I'm going to listen and then I'll learn the other ones and, and I'll just get it done. But it's not the point to check off each item so we can say, I did it, I'm good. Because this isn't about a new list of do's and don'ts. It's, if that was our point, then it'd be about us, not about blessing others. And I think if we don't begin with prayer, then we can just see it as, oh, that's a good thing. That's one more thing I should do. We don't want to should on each other, okay? You don't should on yourself. We don't should on you. Uh, I had to practice that a lot. Um, <laughs> don't see this as, I should do that. Because we'll probably end up doing it by our own strength. We'll probably get ornery about it. At best, someone might be helped, but most likely that blessing will be void of any unity or joy or love. And, and we can see all throughout the scriptures that that sort of happened. One church that was started not quite 2,000 years ago actually was in a part of the world um, called Corinth. It was not too different than America, and the church was confusing certain people with the power of God in prayer. And so listen to how one letter describes the church in 1 Corinthians 5, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 7. What after all is Apollos, one of the people that was a great order of the time and leading people and teaching people? And, and what is Paul, one of the people who started the church and taught the people? They're only servants. 
through whom you came to believe as God assigned them to each task. I planted the seed, and Apollos watered the seed, but it has been God who's making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. Think about what God can do. Only God can forgive our sins. He's the only one who can restore our relationship with him, and he's the only one who can really change our lives. Well, only through his grace and truth and power. So if people are changed only by the power of God, then we have to be people who ask for that power and provision and peace, and we do that through prayer. So we look at John 17. Jesus is giving this long prayer. It's a prayer to his Father. It's the longest prayer that Jesus gives recorded in the Scripture, and we're given this glimpse into his deepest desires for everyone who would believe in him. And it shows what he wants for us. Look at verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have a full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them, but they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. So Jesus wants this full measure of joy within us. He's already said that in John 15. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or completely full. See, and when we begin with prayer, then we shine Jesus' joy. We shine bright in Jesus' joy. That full measure word is this word pleurea, pleureo, if you want to say it, pleureo. It's this word, and the difference is, that at least the way I describe it is, look under your chair. Go ahead. And if you see a cup, grab it. If you don't, then grab one next to you. Okay? So this is like regular joy right here. And, oh, sorry, Brian. Here, you guys want to trade me? Thank you. Thank you. And, and regular joy looks like this. Hey, John, how are you? See, it was a greeting. Regular joy is like, oh, it's going to be a good day. We're not going to... We're not going to kill anyone today, and I didn't get any. I didn't get grumpy with anyone today. You know, I got I got some joy. How's it going? Oh, you know. Okay. I just got my regular joy. I gotta I gotta make myself feel good. Pleureo joy is actually, can't even be contained in this. It's like a mountain waterfall or a deep artesian well that just flows up, that's always coming, that is crisp and clean. And what happens when you get the pleureo of joy that comes from Jesus, you get this. How are you? And it's actually a question that you want to answer. Yeah, I want to hear it. And it overflows, right? It's, how's your day going, Caleb? You know, Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead, so I will not be discouraged by the troubles that come my way. It's an over 
overflowing joy. It's one that you could, you could drink or you could share with someone else. See, if, you're, if you can't see, she has just poured out her joy. You just only wanted to give him three quarters of a cup of joy? <laughs> you're just totally ruining. Look at that. Now he's full, but you're empty. But if it's a pleurea of joy, Jesus just keeps filling it up. I'm going to get a paper towel. I, th I did think that through. It's got to be Jesus' joy. And when we know it's Jesus' joy, and we know that it's overflowing, then we can pour out our own joy because we know where the source is. We go right back and we get filled up. We can generously give. We can go, gosh, my cup is pretty small, and I don't know if I'm going to get very far, and I better manage it. Or we can go, I know where it is. And you know, the more time I begin with prayer, the more I realize how big my container is, and your, your container might grow. But if it's from you, it will run out. But the mountain stream is there. The pleureo of joy will always be running and flowing and available. And so when we begin with prayer, we tap into that joy. Jesus, I mean, he was a man of sorrows, but he was also this man of deep, enduring joy. It's what we need in our lives. It's what the early church was known for. Consider Acts 2, where it says that every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This was the kind of joy that they tapped into. They had a full measure of it. They were filled with the Spirit. They were asking. They were praying. And that's what we get when we tap into that. So what about when things are really hard? Because... There were things that were really hard in Jesus' life. I believe that he laughed and he loved and he helped and he healed. But I also read about when he wept and when he grieved and when he touched people who were sick and he went to demon-possessed people and he went to people that were outcasts and people that were outsiders and he experienced all those emotions too. But I believe that he was able to express joy and it shined brightly through him, not because he experienced just happy things, but because he knew and felt a holy love from his Father in heaven. See, I think people who trust Jesus do not find their joy in the world. They find their joy in Jesus who overcame the world. That's why we need to begin with prayer every day, even multiple times a day, because sometimes we experience really unhappy things. The only way I can have a complete joy is to pray and remember God's holy love. When we begin with prayer, I think we even actually have that. When we begin with prayer, we are set apart. We are made holy with Jesus' love. Jesus continues that prayer, it is not my prayer to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Because they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus understood what they were going to face. And it was what he faced. But it wasn't like, oh, just protect them from all the trouble. 
It was protect them from the evil one. Ephesians 6 says that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against, or the rulers of this world. It's against the one who is the ruler in the powers of the air. The spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. There's a spiritual battle going on, and that's what we need to engage with. That's what he's praying protection for. It's how the overflowing joy from the source of holy love protects us from the pain and the persecution. So you just might want to write down this reference, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. It is a, a verse that has tre- tremendously helped me in my life, but also uh, in the last week. And listen to what it says. It says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth and a hope that's alive because Jesus rose from the dead. He gave it this new birth so that we might share in what belongs to him. It's a gift that can never be destroyed. It can never spoil. It can never fade away. It's kept in heaven for you. Through faith, you are kept safe by God's power. Your salvation is is going to be completed, is ready to be shown to you in the last days. And because of this, you have great joy. These people were being persecuted mercilessly. There were no government protection. There were no human rights. And this is one of Jesus' closest friends and students, Peter, saying, You have great joy. You have joy even though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles. These troubles have come in order to prove that your faith is genuine. It's worth far more than gold even though gold perishes when it's refined by fire. Your faith is meant to bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ returns. So even though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with a glorious joy that can't be put into words. You're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, I think there's something that is bright and beautiful about a genuine faith. Like anything precious, though, faith just doesn't need to be set apart, it needs to be refined. Silver needs to be polished. Gold needs to be purified. Diamonds need to be pressurized. That's what trials and troubles do. They pull away the stuff that isn't going to last to reveal the faith that will last. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't understand. So we've had uh, a person in our church who was hit by a car August 13th who's been in a coma, who's been fighting for her life, but the brain scans are not good. And we've been praying for healing. And this week, I was talking with Wes and is very hard and he's so appreciative of his family but I got a picture of Elena dancing in heaven with a full mind and body and spirit 
with Jesus. Completely healed. Just not here. Just not with us and with their babies. And my joy needs to be in Jesus, not in my circumstances. I have to continue to believe that that is the picture that Peter is talking about. That that is what it means to have a faith that lasts the salvation of our souls. That without a doubt, Elena will be dancing in heaven, fully healed with Jesus. See, I think the world watches so much more when we are in pain as Christians than when we are popular. So remember who fills you. Remember where that source is of holy love, unconditional, unlimited love from the Father. Jesus knew that. See, the last thing is when we begin with prayer, we're sent with Jesus' mission. I mean, for Jesus and for us, joy, mission, and love are all connected. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent you them into the world. For, I, for them, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified. And my prayer isn't for them alone. It's for all who will believe me, believe in me through their message. I think Jesus is saying, I am filled with this overflowing joy and secure in a holy love because I know where I've come from, I know where I'm going, and I know what I'm doing. I'm on a mission. And I want that same fullness and joy for each person who believes in me, so I'm gonna send them on mission. See, sometimes our lives lack joy because we've been living for ourselves, because we don't have a higher mission. We're we're focused on improving ourselves or achieving at work or finding a nice place to live or a nicer person to live with. And there's nothing wrong with those things. You can have a great career or a nice house or a wonderful family. It's just that if those are our only dreams, they're too small. We're not looking beyond ourselves. We're not tapping into God's still dream for the world to reach and restore others. They'll never, ever fill us with a deep, enduring joy. If you're the most significant thing in your life, you will paradoxically feel more and more insignificant because we're created for eternity. So we're sent with this mission and we know we're sent with that mission when our security and our comfort and our cares come second to a larger cause. When someone or something is more important than what is most important to us. When we're willing to sacrifice our convenience or our calendar or even our finances to make a difference in the world. And if you've ever sacrificed for something greater than you, doesn't something come alive in you? It does for me. And we're most alive when we're living for something beyond ourselves. That's why joy and love and mission are connected. Jesus doesn't say it's gonna be convenient. He tells, God tells Abraham to leave what's familiar and comfortable and convenient. Because loving people is often painful. And Jesus sends us to hopeless and, and helpless places of the world to bring hope. He sends us to broken people to bring healing. And what we learn through bless, what we see today, is that when we shine Jesus' joy and when we share his love, that's the way to do mission. It's not complicated. It's how we actually experience more joy. 
because God blesses us so that we'll bless others. And when we bless others, God blesses us. And just as Jesus sent them into the world, he sends us into the world. And just like the students in Mauricio's church on the treasure hunt, I think many people are looking for Jesus, but they don't have any clues. Or if they do have clues, they have bad clues. And at the same time, many people who do know Jesus are just staying silent. And if if you're afraid to talk about Jesus with others, it's just time to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and power. It's not complicated. We're not going to have you hand out things that make people feel like idiots or, or meanies. That's a scriptural word. It's, it's saying we're going to begin with prayer because really we have the answer to life. Our past is forgiven. We have a purpose for living. We have a hope for eternity. We just need to know what the question is. So we begin with prayer. We ask for the Spirit's guidance. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We consider our circle of relationships. And then we pray for those people. So in your worship folder, you have a a card, a pamphlet. And on there, it has a picture like this. I encourage you to take it out right now. As we wrap up, we know that I know, I believe that Jesus is already at work in people's lives. We don't bring Jesus to people. He's already there. He's already working. We just join him. We consider what the questions are before we offer any answers. And we pray and Holy Spirit helps us do that. But we have these people in our circles of relationship. Our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers, students would work for coworkers if you're a student. But over the next five weeks, we're going to lay out these five missional principles. And, and I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself in this too, to go for it every day. Like every day, try one thing. And this is really easy because we only have one. We've only got the B. We've got begin with prayer. So every day, Pray. Pray for the people on your list. Add people to the list. Write those names down, and in a moment, I would love you to offer them to our prayer team so that we can pray for the list. Charlotte's in agreement with me. She's saying amen. You can hear it. Just go for it every day. God, show me where I can join you in blessing another person. Fill me with your love and your joy so that it's not fake. And God, don't give me just my joy. Fill me with your pyrrhea of joy. One that I can pour out and get filled up. Pour out and get filled up. So go for it every day. The second would be to gather with a small group. We've got a ton of small groups right now. They're all just starting. Try it for these weeks of bless. If you don't like it, we're working with the small group leaders to give you a nice off-ramp. And when you gather with that group, just start with, who did you bless this week? I really believe that we will have 
amazing stories because it's God who's doing the work. We're just partnering with him. If you need a pen to write those names down, uh, the ushers, just raise your hand. The ushers will come by. And then in a couple minutes, I would love for us to connect those completed cards and bring them to the front. And Leanne will close us in prayer. So God, I thank you that you are always at work. That Jesus didn't just tell us how to pray. Jesus showed us what to pray. May we be people that begin with prayer because we can't do it on our own. May we be people who believe that joy with you and from you is the best kind of joy. God, forgive us when we find our joy in the things of the world. You do tell us to enjoy the world, but help us to not find our joy there. Help us to be people who find our joy in you because that is a joy that continues to give and live on for eternity. And you created us for eternity. And we want to help others have that experience with you, not because we're special, but God, because you're at work in their life and you love them. So speak to us about those people in our lives who we can start to pray for that might be far from you. Amen.